happy day. Every day is a blessed and happy day. We are favored by the Lord. We are the children of God. And the truth is this, because he is our firm foundation. Nothing, nothing can rattle us. You know, as we were just began the service and as we began to worship the Lord, the Lord gave me this prophetic word over the church, over the church of Jesus Christ. He has said to me, you know, there's been a breach in the wall. There's been a breach going on in the, in the church due to compromise, due to worldliness, due to faithlessness and doubt and fear. And the Lord is saying, You're, I'm rebuilding the walls. I'm rebuilding the walls and I'm using you to rebuild the walls. I'm identifying those areas where there's been a breach in the wall where the enemy has seeped in, has seeped in in our thoughts and seeped in in our character and has seeped in in our ways of living and our priorities. And the Lord is saying, I'm addressing the breach in the wall. I'm addressing the breach in the wall. You know what I'm telling you? The Lord is in control. Some of us, we say, we want this stuff to go away. We want to go back to our nice little life. And the Lord says, I'm addressing the breach in the wall. The Lord is calling us out of the lazy boy chair with the remote control in our hand. And he's saying, get up. You're going to address the breach in the wall. And the Lord gave me the word in Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah was sent back with the people of Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the enemy kept coming against him through deceit through attack through rumor and you know what Nehemiah did he had the people have a sword in one hand and he had the building the 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 tools to build in the other hand and he said we're not gonna fail to build the wall. We're going to keep on going no matter what the enemy brings against us. We're not coming down. We're not going to come down and, and consult with you, enemy. See, this is what it says in Nehemiah 6, verse 7. So they asked, so come now and let us consult together. That's what the enemy asked of them. Come on, let us, let, let's uh, figure this out together. Come on, there's got to be a middle ground somewhere in here you know what I'm telling you there's no middle ground with the enemy there's no middle ground with the enemy and some of us have been playing middle ground with the enemy because we wanted that comfortableness we've uh, worshipped and idealized and idolized friendship with the world because it was comfortable because it was easy on us we could coast a bit do our thing and the Lord is saying that's a breach in my wall you are to build my kingdom that is your calling that's your anointing that's your purpose that's the fulfillment that's your destiny and the Lord is saying I am addressing the breach in the wall there is no consulting with the enemy so come on now pick up the weapons of your warfare pick up the weapons of your warfare we're going forward in this thing. See, the Lord is saying, I'm identifying the breach in the wall. And we're not coming down from it. 
We're not coming down from the wall until it's been built. We're not coming down from doing the work of the Lord until Jesus comes back. Come on. There's a lot of things for us to do. Let us not be distracted by the storm. Let us not be distracted by the winds and the waves. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because his people are called to be water walkers. Do you hear me? We are called to be the supernatural people. When all of the things that are stirring around us, when there are storms and people are afraid and when they're in doubt and when they're in fear, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we walk on the circumstances. We walk on the water. That's our calling. That's what the people of God are. They were that in the Old Testament. They're that in the New Testament because Jesus is our foundation. He is the rock. He is immovable. Come on. We're not, this is not playing church. This is not, oh, I got to gotta tune in so I can be favored by God and blessed with whatever I do this week. Some sort of religious ritual. This is a real living, vibrant relationship with the Lord daily. Assigning us things to do to build his kingdom. Ministry to do to build his kingdom. We're not coming down. We're going to build the wall. We're going to build the wall of his kingdom. See, his kingdom. And people are going to enter in to his kingdom. His kingdom. Righteousness. Peace. Joy in the Holy Spirit. That's his kingdom. And all are welcome. All are welcome into his kingdom. All are welcome every nation every tongue are welcome into his kingdom and come on people come on children of god that's our calling we're not going to sit at the negotiation table with the enemy no more no more not for your home not for your children not for your for your lives not for your personal life not for your finances no more negotiation with the enemy not sitting at that mediation table. Come on. That's what, that's what Nehemiah says. We're not, coming up, we're not coming down to negotiate with you. We have an assignment and we are 100% committed to that assignment. Come on. No matter where you are right now, whatever nation, you may be in a different nation right now than the U.S. The Lord's word is to you. Don't you give up. Keep that sword in your hand. Keep building his kingdom. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what kind of threats that come against you, no matter how they gossip about you, no matter what rumors that are swirling around, come on, he is with you. He is with you. Let's pray. Lord, we declare and decree your goodness in the land of the living, your power that is dwelling in us, the authority that you have given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And we're not coming down from building the kingdom of God. We're not going to consult with the enemy. We're not going to negotiate with the enemy. We're not going to sit at the table with the enemy. No, we're going to stay building your kingdom with your sword in your hand. Lord, with the building tools in our other hand, we're going to do it for you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you have identified there are some things that have been breaches in the walls of the church that we've allowed the enemy in. And he doesn't like it that we're addressing these things. He doesn't like it that you're exposing these things. 
But Lord, we're not going to leave those breaches in the wall. We're going to close them up, Lord. We're going to close them up because in closing them up, we are stronger. In closing them up, we're more powerful. In closing them up, we have shalom, the peace of God. In closing them all up, we walk in the authority. There's no compromised authority. We, we walk in your authority. So, Father, we submit ourselves today. We surrender again ourselves to you and your word. For we belong to you, not just part of us. Body, mind, soul, and spirit, we belong to you in your precious name. Now, come on. We're going to worship and declare his name. The Lord is saying that he's going to take whatever the enemy has brought against you, and he's going to use the very thing, the very weapon the enemy try to use to destroy you and he's going to take that very weapon and turn it around and use it to destroy the enemy now this is what happened when David killed Goliath you see he did use a sling but he didn't have a sword see David never held a sword in his hand until he held Goliath's sword come on this is what it said and there was no sword in David's hand. This is 1 Samuel 17. And there was no sword in David's hand. So he ran and stood over the Philistine and grasped his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. What sword did David use? He used the enemy's sword. He used the enemy's sword. Whatever is coming against you, whatever the enemy has tried to threaten you with, whatever the enemy is holding over you, the Lord's going to take that sword out of the enemy's hand and hand it to you and give you the victory over your enemy. Come on. We, whatever the enemy has meant for evil, the Lord is going to turn it around for God. You know what? The Lord does not want you to have the spirit of fear against what the enemy is saying to you. Some of you you're listening to the enemy and it's creating a spirit of fear. You know, there's a scripture, there's a story in the book of Judges when God told Gideon to go down and listen to the enemy's gossip. This is one time when the Lord says, go listen to the gossip. <laughs> I love this story. So Gideon does what God says and he goes and he listens down at the enemy's camp. And a man's telling a dream to a friend and then Gideon's here listening hiding out and listening and the dream is such that says this ultimately I'm afraid of Gideon and his army that they're going to defeat us the enemy is afraid of you you listen to the gossip of the enemy the fact that he's talking about you <laughs> means he's afraid of you he's afraid of you now rather than go hide out rather than go and compromise stick with what God has told you to do stick with what God has spoken the strategy that the Lord has given stand on his word having done all to stand then stand because the Lord has promised you victory. He has promised you victory. The only thing that can get in the way of that is...
is you. It's only you. If you start getting afraid and running, if you start getting afraid and compromising, if you start getting afraid and negotiating with the enemy, that's the only thing that can get away in the way of your victory. Because he is the victorious one. So I say to you, the Lord says, I have promised you victory. I have given you a promise and I am standing on my word to you. I am standing on my word to you. So no matter what you're hearing, the enemy likes to use people. The enemy likes to use circumstances. The enemy likes to use things politically or whatever's going on in our culture around us to scare us. But this is what the Lord says. You know, the gossip of the enemy just says one thing, that you're going to have victory and he's afraid of your victory. He's afraid of your victory. Come on, church. Say, I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to stand and I'm going to see your victory. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to run. I am going to stand and see the victory of my God. You know, the Lord is speaking today. And the truth is this, why does he challenge us? Why does the Holy Spirit challenge us, us to arise? It's because he has placed in us his Holy Spirit. And everything that was in Christ is in us. The power of the Holy Spirit. His ability, Christ's ability on earth to fulfill his mission. Remember, he laid aside his divinity and he walked 100% in his humanity so that we also could fulfill the purpose God has placed on our lives in the same way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, for many of us, these times that we have entered into are unprecedented. We've never gone through something like this before. And the Lord is speaking to us in the midst of this. And the fact is this. He wants to let you know and remind you as his child that he is our security and our stability. Listen, he is our security and our stability. The truth is this. He always has been. But sometimes we haven't recognized it or felt or needed it in a sense we haven't seen it because we haven't looked for him to be that because we've rested our lives on other things and now we're finding things are being shaken globally around us and the Lord is saying you know what I am your security and your stability Isaiah 33 5 and 6 says this the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high he has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Zion is Jerusalem, the people of God, where the people of God dwells. And the Lord is in the midst of his people in Zion. He is the citadel. He is the highest point in Jerusalem. He is in the midst of his people. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the security and stability of your times. Listen, I want you to 
find this scripture, Isaiah 33, 5 and 6, and I want you to underline it. And he will be the security and stability of your times. Who is? He is. Doesn't matter what's going on. He is your security and he's your stability. A treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. Your security. The Lord is your security. If you're feeling insecure... You need to go back to the truth of his word that he is your security. Now in this, if you look at the scripture and you look at the scripture as a whole, you'll find that the concept of security is closely connected to God's wisdom, to the wisdom of God. And when we speak of the wisdom of God, we actually, as New Testament believers, as people who have received the Holy Spirit, we can have the mind of Christ, which is the wisdom of God. The mind of Christ is the wisdom of God. It's not earthly wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. And our security is connected to the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 3, 13, this scripture, this chapter is all about wisdom. But I'm going to highlight some things to you. Happy, blessed, admired is the man who finds godly wisdom. Verse 21 through 26. But keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life to your soul, your inner self, and a gracious adornment to your neck, your outer self. Wisdom affects inwardly and outwardly. Then you will walk on your way of life securely. Then you will walk on your way of life, how? Securely. And your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Come on, people. Some of you that have anxious nights. Some of you that have a hard time going to sleep because of fears that you're facing and anxieties and worries. This is what scripture says. When you lie down, when the Lord is your stability and and you are receiving the mind of Christ, which is godly wisdom. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You will not be afraid. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the storm of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, firm and strong. The Lord will be your confidence, firm and strong. The Lord is your security. Listen, this is a guarantee for you as a child of God. He is your security. Quit grasping other things. You know, turn off the news. Some of the news, some of it, the vast majority of the news just stirs up confusion and fear and anxiety because they don't really know the answers. They don't know what's going on. Quit looking to the world for the answer. Church, church, people of God, let's not look to the world for the answers. He's our security. We cannot give away something we do not have. So if we're not walking in the word, if we're not walking in him being our security and stability, we can't give it away. 
We can't bring it, that atmosphere to those around us. We can't bring that atmosphere to the younger generation that are looking to be led to your children, to the teenagers, to the young adults, to the young marrieds, to the people who don't know God. We as a people of God should dwell in the security and stability of the Most High God. Come on, Muscle Church. We're not, this is a test for us. And we bring the atmosphere wherever we go, but if it's not in you, you can't bring it. And the Lord is saying, come on, reset yourself on my word. Reestablish yourself on my word. Turn off the voice of man. Turn off ungodly wisdom. Turn off some of the knowledge that's out there. It's shifting sands, haven't you noticed? Even the knowledge, even the scientific discoveries are shifting sand. Pluto. Is Pluto a planet? I don't know. When I was a kid, it was. See? Science shifting sands. Come on. He knows whether Pluto's a planet. I'll have to ask him when we get there. Because our science, I don't even know what they think. But the truth is this. He is our security. He's our stability. He is our stability. He's our security. And he's our stability. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Why are we steadfast? Because he has given us the victory as conquerors through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can be steadfast because he is our stability, because he has given us victory. So we can be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. We're going to be steadfast. Is this a storm? Yes. Are there going to be other storms? Absolutely. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But guess what? I've overcome the world. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, who is our security and our stability. Nothing else is your security and stability. Nothing. Nothing. He is your firm foundation. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You are a water walker. If, if, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The Lord is resetting his children. Some of us have gotten off a little bit. Others, a lot. And he's realigning us with his word, with his truth, with his wisdom. Where do, what's the go-to? When we go through storms, what is your go-to? What is your go-to? Really, what is your go-to? Do you reach for the alcohol? Do you reach for the sedative? Do you reach for gossip? Do you zone out and try to go into a, a, a sense of... Um, ignoring your situation you want to have like a fan you know you go into a sense of fantasy or whatever 
as some sort of medicating your situation. And the Lord is saying, no, no children of God. I am your security and stability, and I want you to fly the plane through the storm. I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fear. I want you to hold steady. Why? Because I am with you. I'm not your co-pilot. I'm in the seat with you. Go, Jesus is my co-pilot. No, he's not. He's in the very seat with you because you're in him. You dwell in him. This is your identity. This is who you are. So the Lord is resetting us, children, because he says in Isaiah 33, 6, and he will be the security and stability of your times. This did not come as a surprise to the Lord. Your situation, whatever you're going through, what we're going through together in our culture and our globe is not a surprise to God. He is your security and stability in this very time, in this very moment. Arise. See, the thing is, is that the world doesn't ha- can't say that. Because their life is not founded on him. They're not in Christ. So in order for us to be a a witness, a testimony to the world, to draw people to Jesus, we need to walk in the fact that he is our security and stability. Our talk and our walk needs to be a lot different than the world. And the Lord has challenged. Some of us don't think so. Guess what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change your thinking because it's in agreement with the wrong thing. Your thoughts, your mind, your worldview needs to be in agreement with him and his word to us. We're going to pray because all of us, this message is for all of us. It's like, Well, what if I'm not feeling very secure and stable? Guess what? He's bringing you into that today. He's bringing you into the revelation of that. He's bringing you into the peace of that. He's bringing you into the truth of that. And let the truth set you free today so that you're not losing sleep, so that you're not anxious, so that you're not consumed with fear, so that you're not trying to do things in your flesh. Let the truth set you free. And you know what the truth is about us humans? We need to get realigned very often. Very often. I do. You do. We need to keep, because the world, the magnetism of the world is trying to pull you out of alignment constantly. So we keep getting back realigned giving ourselves, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, taking every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. You know, constantly, constantly. And as you do it, the word becomes more in you. See, it becomes more and you get stronger. And you walk in his word. You walk in his promise. You walk in his truth. You walk in all the benefits. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me. Forget not all his benefits. Come on, you got benefits to this walk. And the benefits are you can walk with security 
and stability. Before I pray, I just want to remind you of a, a sister. She's one of my heroes in the Lord. And maybe because I'm, I'm Jewish, but it's Corey Tin Boom. I loved, I remember her as a kid. She was in the circuit and she would speak. She was a woman, if you're not familiar with her, she's a Holocaust survivor. She was a Dutch woman who her family hid Jews in their home. And eventually they were discovered for hiding Jews, which was against the law. And she ended up, her and her family, her father, her sister, ended up in a concentration camp. There her sister, whom she loved, Betsy, died. But Corey did not die. And actually through a miraculous circumstances, she was freed from that concentration camp and she testified of God's faithfulness and goodness and of forgiveness and many beautiful things but she says something one of her famous quotes this woman who went through the holocaust and saw hell on earth literally saw hell on earth this is what she says Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. He is my security. He is my stability in these times. He is. He is. I don't know where this is going. My future may be unknown, but I have a known God. I have a known God. And he is my security and he is my stability. And he is the same God for Corey Tin Boom as he is for us. Same one. Same God. He will never fail you. He will never fail. Let's pray. Lord, you are resetting us. You are causing us by your word to be secure and stable because we rest on you. We are the people of God. Zion. And you are in our midst. You are high and lifted up. You are the citadel of Zion. You are high and lifted up amongst your people. And we can rest in your word. We can rest in your truth. And we can even speak to our emotions and our thoughts and say, get in line. Emotions, get in line with the truth of God. Mindset, thoughts, get in line with the truth about my God, that he is my security, that he is my stability, and I can rest, according to the scripture in Proverbs, I can rest in you. I can rest. My sleep is sweet because, Lord, I trust you. I may not understand. I may not know what tomorrow will bring, because it's unknown to me. But guess what? I know you. I know you. The unchanging God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, for those who may be struggling with sleep, Lord, may they claim this word even tonight as they're laying down and as their body is tired. But as they lay down, their mind begins to race and maybe their emotions are stirred and they may feel anxious. 
Lord, we proclaim this word over them, that they rest in the fact that you are secure and you are stable. Maybe they've come from uh, a background where they didn't have that as a child, and maybe there's some things that they need healing over, or Lord, that you want to send your word today and heal them in that area. Lord, may this word heal them, that their mind, their emotions can come into agreement with your word today. Lord, bring sleep to them, bring rest to them, bring the shalom of God to their household. And Lord, for those, Father, maybe facing uncertain things, maybe some trials, maybe some uh, job uncertainty, financial uncertainty, health issues, uncertainty. May they rest in the fact that they are secure in you. Lord, that the very thing that the enemy wanted to use to destroy them, the battle, the battle that has been raging over their lives that the enemies wanted to use to destroy them, Lord, you're going to turn it around for your good. You're going to take the weapon, whether it's a disease, a financial crisis, a job thing, a relational thing, whatever, you're going to take the very weapon that the enemy wanted to use to destroy them, and you're going to turn it around and put that very thing in their own hands to destroy the enemy and bring victory for the greatest glory to you. And we declare this word in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Lord loves you so much. Oh, he loves you. He believes in you. You believe in him. He believes in you. You can do it. That's one of the greatest revelations you can have. The first revelation believing in him is the second revelation that he believes in you that you can do it. So welcome to Crossroads. We are a powerhouse. We are a muscle church. We, I always say, uh, I call it our David church, you know, David and Goliath. We take our, our sling and five stones and we destroy the works of the enemy. We may not have Saul's armor. We may not have all the stuff and the mega stuff, but I'm going to tell you, we're not afraid to get out the sling and go, come on, come on, we're going to do it. And that's what we're doing. We're doing it locally, and we're doing it internationally. And so be a part. Be a part of this. This is a house of great faith. If you don't receive the e-newsletter on Fridays, please sign up for it. It's a way for you to connect and to know about everything that's going on. I want you to do that. You know, right now in this season, and I think even as we go forward, please connect to a small group. This is a time to connect to a small group. In the e-newsletter, there is a list of ways to connect to the small group. We have prayer groups. We have Wednesday night Bible teaching groups. We have life groups. We have moms together. We have victorious women of the cross. We have all kinds, and we're going to even add some more for some specialty things. The fact is this, we don't know how things are going to go forward, but we do know that small groups can meet within the regulations. And so this church is going to flourish, but it's going to go do it through our small group times together. So please, if you belong to this house, if you consider Crossroads your home church, even if you only come once every six months, please connect to a small group. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for relationship, fellowship, for enrichment spiritually and for your family, if you have a family. So I want to strongly encourage you to do that. And you can find those on our e-newsletter. 
Women's and men's and youth are continuing to meet in their different contexts on Wednesday night. Crossroads Connects going on. I know the women's ministry has changed from Facebook Live to meeting at a home and outside in one of the Morgan Hill homes of people of our church. And so if you want to do that, so on Wednesday nights, please contact Rhonda Chandler. And this is the thing. You can do that through our e-newsletter. You can email her right through there. So if you have opportunities to gather and have your faith nurtured. Pastor David sends out a daily devotional. Right now it's on the gifts of the Spirit. I proofread it every morning so I know what it says. And it is awesome, great teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And, and it's important for you to grow in your faith and understand the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit is how... We move in the spirit and take down what the enemy has tried to build up. He wants us to go forth in the gifts of the spirit. The Lord does. And he's empowered you with the gift of the spirit. So as you're studying, you're going to be able to identify the gifts of the spirit that God has called you to use. So this is a great study. And it will help you to understand other people's gifts. See? Because you, may, you don't have them all. So you'll understand why other people do what they do. You'll see the whole body functioning together. So please sign up for that. Go to the e-newsletter. You can email Pastor David, and you can say, hey, I want to get that. You're going to get it directly to your email. Filled to the brim is available to you every morning except for Sundays. And this goes all over the world. But I want you to listen. It's eight minutes of your day. You can be making breakfast. You can be driving in your car. You don't have to look at me, but listen to the word of the Lord. You may say, well, you know what? That word is fine. I don't know if I need it. And then three days later, oh, I need that word. I needed that word. See, the thing is the Lord knows what you need. So this is a time to be nurtured. So fill to the brim. You can log in to YouTube and find me there, and or you can find it through our e-newsletter, our Friday e-newsletter. Also, our sermons are on podcasts. You can find the links there in our Friday e-newsletter. Next Sunday, July 19th, we're having worship proclamation again. We had it in June. We're going to be doing this monthly. Carolyn Orlando is leading it. It's a time of prophetic praise and intercession. So it's July 19th at 5.30 to 7. It's in the courtyard. Everything that all of our gatherings are outside. So you come through the courtyard next week. Do that. It's a time to worship and proclaim. We need to be doing that in California, right? Amen. Amen, Pastor Lynn. Amen. Our missionary partner of the week is Cairo Center for Theology and Leadership. And this is the school in Lucknow, India, that Pastor David and I taught at while, when we lived in India. And this is a school that we built a dorm for. Uh, the women's dorm just recently that we need to still dedicate or go and dedicate, which we didn't get to do because of the coronavirus uh, stopping us from doing that. But this school we want to pray for because this is the hub, the northern Indian hub for church planting. And many of the other ministries that we support and network with and are enlarging the territory, those uh, people, those leaders come from this school. And so we want to pray for this school and keep this school in your prayers and that the the body there, the, the teachers, and also the students, that there would be more. There would be increase over their house, both financially and numerically. It is a hub for church planting. Another thing that just 
recently happened. You know, I, I told Pastor Dave, I know I'm a driver. You know what a driver is? I, I like, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, that's the way I live. That's, that's, it's, it's the way I am. It's not a fake. It's the truth, you know. And one of the things that I have recently driven us to do is to take on a ministry in Nepal. And um, it's called Harvest Loving Home. And it, it's a ministry that has rescued six girls and one boy currently. And it's led by Karen Paul, one of the students that came from the school that we're highlighting today. And she started a ministry in central Nepal. And I have been looking for sponsors for these seven children. You know, this house, if you are unfamiliar with Crossroads, we sponsor all kinds of children in various contexts. We sponsor a boy's home and house, house of hope in central India. There's about 20 boys there, about 18, 20 boys that we sponsor there. And this house sponsors them. People in this house sponsored them. And then we also sponsor and support both spiritually and financially children from Light Life Freedom, which are children rescued out of sex slavery in the brothels in New Delhi. And there's about 18 of those children that this house sponsors. Okay. We're not a big house, but we all sponsor them. And now Pastor Lynn says, let's sponsor these children in central Nepal, Harvest Loving Home. So I'm all like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. Because the Lord, it's not Pastor Lynn, it's the Lord. The Lord says, do this. So I said, okay. Okay, Lord, we're going to do this. And so I have communicated to you multiple times and through a newsletter and also through my Women of the World newsletter. And out of the seven, we have six sponsored. We have six of the children sponsored. And we have one left. Okay, now I was praying about this little one. Her name is Stuti. So cute. Little Stuti, if you're listening. Karen, if you're listening. Stuti Sherpa. And she's 10 years old. And her father died. And her mother remarried and left her. Okay, so abandoned her. So she belongs to us. Come on, Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that our calling, people? to be the fathers to the fatherless come on to care for the orphans yes so this one she's left her name's Stuti now I know God has somebody that's supposed to take on Stuti and when I say that I don't mean just dropping a check in the mail or and dropping in okay I mean you take her on by praying for that you turn she's your girl that's how we do it around here those are your kids right but I believe it's somebody that doesn't have a sponsorship. You don't do Light Life Freedom. You don't do House of Hope. You haven't taken something out. You've heard me up here multiple, multiple times. And I believe there's somebody in this house that's supposed to be Stuti's mommy or daddy, spiritually. Email me today. Stuti, 10 years old. Stuti Sherpa. You say, well, I might never meet her. You'll meet her in heaven for sure. And she's going to be a godly woman. Because what the enemy tried to do for evil, the Lord is turning around for good. And she's going to be an Esther to her nation. See, what are we doing here, people? We are investing, not just investing financially, but cultivating, being the watchman on the wall spiritually for these children so that they will rise up 
And they will be transformers to their nations. I know this in my heart for a fact. What we do, the $50 a month, that's what it is, $50 a month, is the best investment you can make. Is in a person, in a child that God has anointed, that God has rescued. So there's somebody that's going to take on Studi. Okay, so you let me know. And you don't have any other kid. That's what? That's going to be. If you already have a kid, I know your heart's all pumping and going, I could probably squeeze out another 50. <laughs> I know some of you. But that's not who it is. It's somebody that doesn't have a child. Okay? And you know who you are. All right. It's time. Speaking of giving, it's time to give. Let's pray over our tithes and offerings. This house is a giving house. But the truth is, is you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. You who sow, you shall also reap. You who, there's going to be more in your lap. The Lord loves to bless the stewards, the ones who steward the resources for his kingdom. What does he do? The one who took the five talents and multiplied it for the kingdom, for his master's kingdom, he gave more to. And that's what the Lord is going to do. He's going to give you more to steward as you steward faithfully. We're going to steward faithfully. Lord, we pray over this house, Crossroads. We pray over the church, this church that has been a David church, Lord. The ones that had said, we're, we are not huge. We're not big. We don't have a big budget, but we got five stones and a slingshot. <laughs> and you know what? We're going to use what we have and what we know. And the Lord says, and you're going to take down giants and lord that's what you've called us to do and we're not going to stop we're going to keep on going we're going to keep on doing it we're going to keep on doing it and as we do it lord you're going to give increase increase over the faithful ones lord in this house so that more can be accomplished for your kingdom lord we declare this we decree it lord may we give our tithes to this house and offerings in your precious name, amen. God bless you. Pastor David has a powerful word today. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. We're glad you're with us today. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the name of God that a lot of people have a lot of confusion about. You see, when you understand the character and nature of God by the names he uses to describe himself in Scripture, it'll draw you into a deeper relationship with him. And one of the things that is interesting is uh, over the past few weeks, I've been reading through the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the area of uh, the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. And one of the passages that's kind of leaped out to me has been the, the, the teaching of what we refer to in in the church and the Jewish and the Christian community as the Ten Commandments. And what are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments were basically the moral and ethical guidelines God has given to his people on how they should live. And when you read through those Ten Commandments, they're found in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, Exodus chapter 20 and then Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's a repetition of the Ten Commandments. You'll find out that as you read through those, 
The beginning, the first four of the Ten Commandments actually talk about our duty and responsibility to God, how God wants his people to interact with him, and then how he interacts with us. So there's a, there's a, a mutual connection that happens to it. And one of the things that's interesting is when you deal with how we worship God, how we worship Jehovah God, how we worship the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. He gives us some specific guidelines. And the very first commandment that he gives us is the concept of what is true worship. How does God want us to worship him? And he basically says that he doesn't want us to worship anything else. You know, um, Sunday mornings we drive in here, we see people worshiping their cars, washing them, polishing them, driving them around. We see people worshiping their bodies by exercising, and, and I exercise. There's nothing wrong with that, but you shouldn't idolize your body, you know. We see people, you know, you, you, you see people that idolize all sorts of things, and we wouldn't classify them in a sense of a, of a god, but they worship them as a god. You know, I, I think of sports teams and how many people idolize and and, you know, they, they paint their faces and they have decals all over their cars and they wear their uh, regalia, their clothing, and they wear all their information about that team. And they, they, they'll skip church to go to a sporting event, but they won't worship the God who saved their souls. And it just, it bothers me. And I have nothing against sports. I have, I have against idolizing anything or putting anything above the Lord. You know, and so one of the things that is interesting when we look at this Scripture is very clear on commanding us as his followers, as his sons and daughters, how we come into alignment with him. And so one of the things that the believer uh, has to realize is God is a jealous God. You know, God is very jealous about us as his children. And jealousy in the, in the biblical sense is not like we understand it in, the, in the, the world around us. Because one of the things that happens is, as you read through Scripture, you'll see that the jealousy that God has for us as his sons and daughters is based upon the protection and well-being of us. You see, because God understands this about people. When you have something else that is more important in your life than the Lord, that can control you. And a lot of times the things that control us will draw us away from the truth of who God created us to be. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the last 30-plus years of pastoring is that God's desire is always to bless his sons and daughters. Always. God always wants to bless us. Even in difficult situations, God will use a difficult, trying situation to draw you close to him so that you will know that he is your stronghold. He is your power. He is your defender. He is your way maker. He is your promise keeper. He is the one that is always there for you. And so when I was reading through this, one of the things that is, is interesting, we live in a culture that wants to rephrase the Ten Commandments to be like, maybe like the Ten Suggestions. Like, oh, if you feel like it today, you could do this. But this isn't really what you're required to do. Or what I'm seeing more and more so, because I believe there's a a real concerted attack upon who the Lord is by both the secular media and people that are, are totally, some of them are very intentional in them doing it, and some are very unintentional, but are just puppets in the hands of the enemy to use their influence to diminish our worship and our ability to worship God. And so scripture says, you know, be careful because in the last days, people will wax cold in their service to the Lord. And so I see actually today, one of the things, it's not even the 10 suggestions, 
but it's let's do the 10 opposites of what that's saying. So we will not do this. We will, we will live a lifestyle that's totally debased. We'll live a lifestyle that's totally in rebellion to God because we are the, we are the controllers of our destiny. You know? We have news commentators that give us theology and tell us that, you know, like just recently, Jesus wasn't perfect. Really? Have you even read the Bible? You know? He was the perfect sacrifice. Everything about him was perfect. He was without sin. I've heard people tell me things about the Lord that I'm like, really? I, you know, I'm not really that violent of a person, but I want to just punch him in the side of the head to get their attention. You know? You know, they, they don't understand that, that God's, the, the serving the Lord is not a burden. It's a delight. Yeah. It's, it's freedom. I don't walk under oppression. I don't walk under a God who's trying to crush me down. I walk under a God who's lifting me up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all mankind unto me. And part of worshiping God is understanding the relationship not only that he has with us, but we have with him, and then as a result of that, who we have with one another. And so it's interesting when you read this uh, and you read through the 10 suggestions, or as our culture would say, or maybe the 10 opposites, as our culture would say, the believer says, no, these are the 10 commandments. And what is a commandment? It's a binding agreement between two parties. It's a covenantal relationship that God has made with his people so that we can walk in the freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. You know, when you look at the book of Genesis... One of the things that happened in the fall when mankind sinned was the relationship, the purity and the, the authenticity of relationship between man and God was severed, not because of God, but because of mankind. And what God did by sending Jesus Christ was a restoration of the relationship that he wanted to have with us so that we are now brought back into right relationship with God. And as a consequence for that, we understand who we belong to and who's whose we are. And so when you're reading this, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people don't even realize that there are the, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses twice. You know, Moses had a temper. You read through Scripture and you can see that. He, he, he had a temper, and as a result of his anger at the sin of the people, he actually threw the original Ten Commandments down and broke them. And so God had to redo them and, and, and say, you know, hey, Moses, you need to chill, brother. You need to just walk in the, the, the shalom of God, the peace of God, you know. And so we gave him a second uh, a set of them. And, and in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, Exodus 34, 14, there's a verse that speaks to us about the nature and character of God. Look what it says. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And the name that is used there in the Hebrew is the name Elkanah. Now, when we lived in India, people would come up to us and say, kana, kana, food. If you're from Africa, kana is a, a medicinal herb that is, is, is used. It's a homeopathic medicine. But in Scripture, the name Elkanah is literally the God who is jealous for his people. If you read in the book of Nahum, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Lord is a jealous God and an avenging God, which means that God is jealous for his people, and he'll take care of them, and he'll protect them. So when you're, you're thinking about it, today because of our culture, we live in a culture that jealousy is, is really, it's, it's, it's not the biblical concept of what jealousy is. Our culture says that if, if a person's jealous, they're selfish, they're distrustful, there's hostility, and it, it carries with it a lot of negative connotations. But biblically, in the biblical text, 
Jealousy has something different. You see, uh, jealousy is really about a positional relationship you have with the one that's jealous. Let you know, I'm a very jealous husband. I, I love my wife. You know, one thing I was thinking when I was sitting over here, I was sitting over here on the side, and, and Randy, the camera isn't large enough to see the shoes she was wearing. I was thinking how cute her shoes are, you know? All the worship team knows my wife wears beautiful shoes, you know? More, Lord, more, Lord. Oh, Lord, protect me from my finances, you know? Uh, but when, you, when you're jealous of someone, you want to protect them. You want to keep them from harm. You want to protect them from someone else or something else that may try to harm them. And and I tell you something, God's jealousy is about preservation of something that he values immensely. You see, because you've been bought with a price. You you don't belong to yourself if you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've been born again, if you've been forgiven of your sin and you're in a right relationship with God, you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus And Jesus realizes that his precious blood is one of those things that is so important that God wants his precious blood to be taken care of. And when we're in, we're, we're placed in a relationship with God, he says, I will do everything I can to protect that which I've invested in. So when we think about God's jealousy, it's really rooted in his justice, his holiness, his love. His preservation of you as a person, as an individual. He really wants you to be preserved in that. And it's, it's really interesting because if you understand a biblical concept of what jealousy is, it's really about a healthy, passionate, burning devotion both ways through both parties. And I don't know about you, but I hear people all the time tell me, well, God's not really a God of love. Well, you don't know the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture is pure, the purity and the essence of love, that's who God is. And, and, and people want to tell us that God is something different than that, but you need to read through the Scriptures. Because really, the, 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 the concept of God's love and God's jealousy for us is about exclusivity. Why am I a jealous husband? Because we are exclusive in our relationship. My wife and I are committed to one another. I tell her all the time, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. All you other ladies, sorry, you're you're very attractive, but you're not the most beautiful woman in the world. My wife happens to be. And hopefully, if those of you that are married, your spouse will tell you you're the most handsome or beautiful person in the world. I tend to disagree with you, but we can still get along, you know? And so when we talk about it, it's really about devotion and exclusivity. You know, and the concept of marriage, one of the reasons why God uses the concept of marriage throughout Scripture, and if you haven't read the Song of Psalms, read it sometime. You know, it's, it's about the passionate love God has for his sons and daughters, the relationship that he wants to have with us. So when God, when God looks at us and he says, I'm, I'm jealous, he's really talking about not sharing his glory with anyone else. If you look in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, Scripture says that I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. You see, God doesn't want the praise of his people to be misdirected to something else. He wants praise this way because when you worship the Lord, there is a freedom that comes with you. There's a freedom that flows through you. There's an ability for you to worship the Lord in the spirit of truth. And then you realize who you are in Christ. And you don't have to look for someone else to... to ratify who you are as a person or to give you some sort of self-identity because you know you belong to the Lord. 
And you know that you're perfect in Christ. And, you know, we have all this in our culture. We have, you know, body shaming and house shaming and parent shaming and this shaming and that shaming. But when you know who you are in Christ, none of those things matter. You know, I remember when I was young, I used to be good looking. I realized that. I used to have hair. I used to be physically fit. I used to be able to run marathons. But, you know, outwardly I'm wasting away. But inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. And someday this old body of mine is going to lay down and I'm going to open my eyes in the presence of the Lord and I'm going to have a perfect body. I may think it's perfect, but I tell you what, it's not. You may think your body's perfect, but let me tell you it's not, but you can be perfect in Christ. You know why? Because who you are in Christ determines your understanding of who God made you and created you to be. And God says, you know, one of the things I want you to do is I want you to know that I love you immensely. And the jealousy of God is about a, a spirit of protection around us, not a spirit of control and manipulation. So what is God's desire? Why does God desire this exclusivity? Why does God desire this aspect of us being his and his being, uh, belonging to, to us belonging to him and him belonging to us? You see, I think one of the things that is really interesting is people that don't know the Lord feel that when they read this passage of Scripture that somehow... The God who created everything is insecure. You know, why? Because they're basing it upon human understanding. They're not basing it on a concept of who God is. They're basing it upon how a failed human being looks at themselves when they don't know who they are. You see, when I look in the mirror, I look, wow, you look good. You know, comb my hair. You know, comb my hair like this, really. You know, but I look at myself because I know I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you look in the, in the mirror, you realize you're a son or daughter of the Most High God. And even though there may be imperfections on who you are, you realize that it's not the outward appearance that God looks at. He looks at our heart. And he wants our heart to be devoted to him. And he wants us to be in a relationship with him. And one of the most interesting things is when you read through Scripture, you know, there's, if you ever go to Israel, if you ever go to a synagogue, you ever go to a Jewish uh, assembly, one of the most favorite scriptures that the Jews have is Deuteronomy 6.5. It's called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. The Shema is a passage that every time they get together and, and worship, they will share it. And it says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You see, why? Because when you have that devotion to God, it brings you into alignment with your purpose for being. It brings you into your alignment with who God wanted you to be. Now, if you say, well, you know, we don't live under the Old Testament. Okay, let's turn to the New Testament. What does the Gospel of Luke say in Luke chapter 10, verse 27? Jesus speaking says this. He answers the people, and then when they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he adds your mind. You see, because people have to be, according to Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So Jesus understood that about humanity, that we need to be changed by our thinking. One of my friends always says, you know, the problem with people is we have stinking thinking. So we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then he says, and then he says, love your neighbors yourself. You see, when you are in right relationship with God vertically, your relationship with people horizontally is massively altered. 
That's why as believers, we love our enemies. That's why as believers, we don't resort to violence. That's why as believers, we, 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 we follow the teachings of the Lord. And when you are in a relationship with, with Elkanah, the God who is jealous, you understand those things about how you should treat people. So one of the things that we have is, and Pastor Lynn mentioned this, that you know, we live in a world that the, the, is pulling us in so many different directions. And I, I really want to encourage you. You need to be people of the word. Yes. You know, the problem with so many Christians is they're biblically illiterate. The only time they open their Bibles is when they hear someone preaching. And sometimes they don't even do that. You know, you need to be people of the word. You need to be people in the word. Get the word in you and get you in the word. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, you will have an understanding of who God is. Because there is a, there's this process of growing in Christ. It's, it is a process, and there is something you and I have to do. We have to feed ourselves. I'll tell you, I look around at a lot of Christians, and, and i tell you, you know how to eat. You know? We had a, a, a barbecue yesterday with some amazing steaks. Uh, Michael Cameron. M- Michael, is he still here? He was up there. He's probably back in the back sleeping someplace, sleeping off his steaks. But when you eat, what does it do? It provides sustenance to your body. Well, when you eat the word, Scripture says it's like honey on your lips. And what about honey? What happens when honey's on your lips? You keep licking your lips because you want more. It's sweet. It's, it's, it's enticing. It's something that is, is drawing you for more. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to be people of the word. And as long as we're the pastors of this church, we will be a word-based church. We're not going to be about social issues. If we talk about social issues, we're going to filter it through what God's word says. Not through what people say, not through what politicians say, not what uh, athletes say, not what movie uh, stars say. We're going to filter it through God's word because that's how we're transformed. And one of the things that we have to do is, I I tell people all the time, you need to be careful about what you expose yourself to, because if you're exposing yourself to all these other things, it's going to affect you. You know? You have to be people of the Word. And that's why it's really important. Listen to what Scripture says in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the Hebrew or the Greek name for the Hebrew book. It means the second law. So how does the book of Deuteronomy interpret us and challenge us to be. He says, look at this, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, and be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make yourself an idol in the form of anything. Okay, we think idols are just like some in foreign, foreign land. Like when we lived in India, I would walk down the street and there'd be a pile of clay and the guy would be making idols out of the clay and then worshiping them. Or there'd be a tree, and he'd carve something and an idol. And we think, you know, the problem with Americans is we think everyone else is bad and we're good. You know, the reality is we're all messed up. That's why we need a Savior. And, you know, you you can go and you can point to the failures of other people, but you don't see them in yourself. You know, we worship so many things on our own that we just look at and say, oh, that's not worship. I'm just taking good care of something, you know. I'm just, I'm just protecting what's mine. Well, everything you have belongs to the Lord. So unless you give it to the Lord, it's become an idol. Unless you place it in higher priority than you do the things of the Scripture, it becomes an idol. And he says, don't make an idol in any form. 
that the Lord your God is forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. The same word, Elkanah, is used there. He is the God who is jealous. He's the God who wants you to understand. And if I can do anything, I want to pray that you have illumination in your spiritual eyes to see that your eyes, your heart, and your mind can be opened to receive what God has for you. Because jealousy is, is like I said, in Scripture, it's related to the concept of marriage. And one of the things that God wants us to do is God wants us to realize that he gave the Ten Commandments to us as, as a sense of a, a, a guideline for us. And the reason he's a jealous God is because he understands the consequences of what happens to a person when they start following other things and worshiping them. He realizes where, where it's going to end up. And as a son and daughter of, the, of God, we are children of the Lord. You know, I remember years ago, I, mean, I know the worship team, you may have a hard time realizing this, but I actually was the lead singer in a musical. Just happened to be at a deaf camp, and uh, I was the only one that could hear the music really well and sign, so they, they didn't like my voice, but they liked my signing. So I was, the, I was Salty the Salter in Salty the Hymn Book. You remember that old 1980s, 90s? Uh, I, I, was the, I wore a, a, a salty costume, a book, a blue book, and I signed the whole musical for this deaf camp. <laughs> that, was, that was really painful. Uh, as I was singing, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything for the Lord. You know, people make a fool of themselves for anything. I'll do it for the Lord because, you know, I had such a good time and I realized I blessed people even with my bad signing. You think my singing's bad? You should watch my signing, okay? Something about those combination of those letters just really messes me up. But in that, we sang out of the book of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, it talks to us about what it means to be sons and daughters of God. Because as a child of the Lord, he has a certain perspective of us, and he wants us to understand it. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Behold, should I sing it or sign it? No, never. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want our, uh, our video audience to have to go to get hearing aids. But it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that we, that's what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him and will be seen as he is. And everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness as well. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. But you know that Christ appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him keeps on sinning. But if you continue to sin as... uh, uh, to sin has seen, or excuse me, no one who continues to sin has seen him or knows him. The li- little children, actually the word there in the original language is totechno, which is really a, it's a very endearing term. It's like what you say to like your, your grandchildren or your little babies, you know, like just all oh, little babies, you know, they're like your little chicks, right, Kim? Uh, they're your little chicks, your little chicks. That's a term of affection. He says, let no one deceive you The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. And when I was looking at that, one of the things that came out to me was, what does it mean to be a child of God? 
Well, to be a child of God, first of, first of all, is to realize this. God loves us. Look at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what you, we, we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You may be an orphan. You may not have a family. You may have never been married. You may have been married and been divorced. You may have had a family that doesn't serve the Lord, but you are not alone. You have the Lord with you. And the Lord says, you are my child. And I'll tell you something about the Lord. He doesn't abandon his children. He's not like an earthly parent, like this young little girl in Nepal or these young children that we support in these countries that have been abandoned by their parents. The Lord is always by your side. And one of the things that is amazing about this text is as children of the Lord, we're not just children, but we have become co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And as a result of that, one of the things we see, we've been adopted into the family of God. We now have had a spiritual blood transfusion, and we now are sons and daughters of the Most High. And how, does, how do we know this? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his resurrection, and because of the Word of God. All three of those things are testimonies to you and I of who we are in Christ. There is a great, great message here for you to understand. You are loved by the Lord. The Lord loves you, and that's why he's jealous for you. Because he understands he doesn't want you to get into something that's going to mess you up. He doesn't want you to get into something that's going to, to cause you to walk with a limp or cause you to walk with a burden that he didn't design you to carry. Because he understands what idols and what sin does. It destroys you. Second thing he says, look at verse 2. We are to be like him. Well, you know, how do we know what Jesus looks like? We don't know physically, but we do know spiritually. And the text says this, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. So who you are and what you're going to be, it hasn't been revealed to us yet, right? But it says, but we know this, when Christ appears, we will be like him, and we will be seen, I love this, And we will see him as he is seen. We will look at him and he will look at us and we will identify why. Because the same spirit that lives in Christ Jesus lives in you and I. That's why when you meet a brother or sister in Christ and you don't know it, there's some some sort of connection you feel with them. Why? Because the spirit of the living God is in them and the spirit of the living God is in you. And it it connects. There's a, a magnetism. And one of the things that God wants us to do is he wants us to put our hope and trust in him. He wants us to put our trust and hope so that we can be renewed in him and know who we are in Christ. And that's why there's a a sense of a jealousy because he, he wants you as his son or daughter to know that he wants you to become like him. That's why we're in the word. That's why we're people of the word. And then he says in verse six, if you drop down to verse six, he says, we're not to sin. Now, what is sin? Scripture says to him who knows what is right and doesn't do it, it's sin. So there are certain sins that are sins for everybody. But if the Lord has spoken to you not to be involved in something and you do it, it could be sinful. Let me give you a personal example. Years ago when I was, I was a marathoner, the Lord spoke to me and said, David, you need, your, your, your running is becoming an idol. Now, how many of you know exercise is not bad for you? Scripture says, you know, exercise profit a little, but godliness, exercise and godliness profits much. So I, I was like, okay, Lord, I understand that, but I've got to stay in shape because I need to be healthy. But really, I was, I was saying, but God, don't tell me what an idol is. And so all of a sudden, I started having pains in my ankles. 
And I had a friend that was the director of the sports exercise program at Penn State University. So he took me in and he gave me EKGs and he gave me all the things and was checking me and put me through all the motions. And he goes, there's nothing physiologically wrong with your ankles. But anytime I was dressed in clothes like jeans and a shirt and shoes, I could run freely. I would put on my running gear and I would take two or three steps and my ankles would just be killing me. So one day I decided, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm dense, you know, knock on my head. And I stopped running. And then I got things in alignment. And one day I was walking across the, the, the campus where I was working at. And the Lord said, now that you have things in perspective, you can start running again. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. So I went home, put on a pair of running shoes, went for a six-mile run. No problem in my ankles. Why? Because I had crucified the idol of exercise in my life. Now, is, is exercise bad? No. And for the person next to me, would running be bad for them? No. Why? Because it wasn't an idol to them. So this is where we have, this is where the Holy Spirit really hones in on our personal lives and says, what are you placing above the Lord? Is there something you're placing that's above your service to the Lord? You know? I hear people all the time tell me, oh, well, you know, Sunday is family day. Well, n- no, technically it's not. It's family of God day. Sunday doesn't belong to you. Sunday belongs to him. And if you work on a Sunday because of your employment, then you need to have a Sabbath day that you dedicate to the Lord. But don't tell me this, oh, I, it's my family. I work all day. I work all week. I do this. I do that. You need to dedicate your, your, your time to the Lord. And one of the things that the Lord does is he says, you know, hey, Don't do things that are sinful. Don't do things that are in violation of my word. And honor the Lord. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. One of the things that we do as people is we say, God, I want you to have control of my life. I give you my sin, and in exchange for that, I walk in your grace and freedom. We don't live under condemnation. We live under grace. But one of the things about grace is grace isn't cheap. Grace costs Jesus Christ his life. Grace costs Jesus to take beating on, on, uh, before the cross and crucifixion and death so that you and I could walk in freedom. And that's not something free. And so one of the things we look at when we look at the whole concept of Exodus chapter 34 is we look at Elkanah, the God of grace. And it's interesting because if you would read the Greek equivalent of what Elkanah is, it would be the, it would be the word zealous, Z-E-L-O-S, which we get the word z- being zealous for something. What is zealousy? It's something that's excited. Sign language. You rub your hands together. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, we're going to Michael's house for steak. Yes. You know, I'm going out for Indian after church today. Yes. You know, my wife, I'm going to DSW. Yes. And I'm like, oh, no, Lord, help me, Jesus. No, she doesn't go to DSW. DSW comes to her. Yeah. You know, it seeks and finds that which needs to buy shoes. And I tease her all the time, but you know what? I've never told her she can't buy shoes. One of the things about my wife, this is a total sidebar, so I just keep, keep, so any of you saying, quit picking on your wife for shoes. She gets shoes at two and three and four and five dollars a pair. I can't buy socks for what she buys shoes, you know? So keep going, girl, you know? So what is zeal? Yes, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news, especially when they're wrapped in nice shoes, you know? 
So what is zeal? Zeal is when something comes upon you, it's a strong sense or a strong feeling, and it it pulls you into an intensity. And that's what God wants with us. He wants us to be zealous, not for things, but for him. Because when you're drawn close to the Lord, one of the things that happens is you're transformed. When you're in the presence of the Lord, something changes in you. And God understands that. That's why he says, hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. And I know right now we're sheltered in place, but it doesn't mean we can't fellowship. We can't get together in small groups. We can't get together as individuals and have a cup of coffee, sit six feet apart and talk about what Jesus is doing in our life. It doesn't mean we have to abandon ourselves. But what we do is we, we become intentional about worshiping the Lord together. We build up one another, and we, 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 we fuel the, fat, the passion of what God has for us. You see, one of the things that, that concerns me as a culture is there is a systematic dwindling down of the importance of, the, of truly spiritual things. And what God is saying, I am jealous of my sons and daughters. I want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with them in my presence and me in their presence because I realize if I do that, they'll be transformed. They'll be powerful agents that can withstand anything. So how do we come about this? Well, you know, We've had a couple weddings. Actually, we've had three weddings. One, uh, Susan's uh, son and new daughter got married. They got married up in Idaho. And then Pastor Sandy and Matthew got married. That was so cute. You guys are so, such lovebirds. And then uh, on July 3rd, my daughter got married. Our daughter, Phoebe, got married to Josh. And uh, when, it, because they're smaller weddings now, you, have, you don't have the large crowds, right? And so I walked my water... Do- my water... <laughs> I walked my daughter down the aisle and then put her hand in Josh's hand. And because she didn't have a bridesmaid, she turned to me and handed me the bouquet. And I, I jokingly said to her, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know, which in, in sense is funny. How many of you have heard that expression, right? But the truth of the matter is we are the bride of Christ. It doesn't matter your gender. You are the bride of Christ. And one of the things that the Lord wants you to know is he's jealous for you and your affection and attention to him and vice versa. He wants you to not to, to abandon your sense of wanting to be with him. Because I tell you, what happens, like Pastor Sandy's walking around now. She's like, oh. Matthew went to work, had a rough day. And I said to her, you know why he had a rough day? He wasn't with you today. You know? What happens when people are in love? They get that googly eye like, you know, why? Because they're so in love. Nothing else matters. Looking at them, your beautiful brown eyes, baby, is all I want to do, you know? Yes. You know, love changes your perspective. And it changes how you view things. And what the Lord, the, the, the jealousy of the Lord is not an insecure God trying to control his people. That, you don't even understand the concept of what a, a, the God of love is, if that's your view. A jealous God is, I want to protect that which I feel is so important to me. I want to protect that investment. I want to protect that relationship. I want to protect that covenantial exclusivity that I want to have with my sons and daughters. Because I realize that there are people out there that want to destroy my relationship with them. 
Just like there's people out there that want to destroy the intimacy of your, 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 your union with your spouse, there are, there's a spiritual force present in our world that wants to draw you away from the Lord. How do I know that? Scripture talks about it. And what the Lord says is he wants his presence to be with you in everywhere you go. You know, and, and we say, well, how does, how does that apply from, from the time of the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy to the New Testament? Well, look at Jesus. Jesus was, was very compassionate and very merciful to people. But yet he also had a side when he went to the temple and he saw them selling things in the temple. What did he do? Oh, isn't that special? No, he flipped over the tables, made a whip out of cord, and beat them for making his father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a marketplace, into selling things. You know? Now, is Jesus condoning violence? No. But he's the zeal, actually, the, the word of God says in, in the book of John, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, zeal for your house has consumed me. And so what Jesus was saying is the same uh, Elkanah, the same zeal, the same passion for the things of God has consumed him so much that he wouldn't allow something that would divert the people's attention because what the sellers were doing, they were putting their stalls in the areas where the Gentiles could go so the Gentiles couldn't come into the temple to worship. And so he's saying, basically, you guys are making profit and keeping people from worshiping me. If you want to have your stalls, take them outside the temple, outside the court of the Gentiles, so people could come in and worship me freely. That's the context of what it was. And so when we look at Scripture, when we look at a jealous God, we see a God who's talking about having an intimate relationship with his sons and daughters. And Jesus over and over and over taught the intimacy. The first and foremost thing you should do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. All of that, and then love your neighbors as yourself. You see, we're living in a culture that is, and I believe this, listen to me. I believe we're living in a culture that wants us to learn to hate our enemies so our Christian testimony can be destroyed. Because if you hate your enemies, you're not living the lifestyle Jesus died for. And that's why as believers, we cannot, we cannot, listen to me, we cannot fall into the trap of hating our enemies. We need to pray for them. We need to pray the blessing on them. We need to pray they come to faith. We need to speak blessing over them. We need to know that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we will not succumb to the hatred of this world. We will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We will not sin, but we will demonstrate the love of Jesus to the culture we live in. You see, Scripture tells us, it's, it's amazing in 2 Corinthians 10, it tells us that we, we live in a world, but we don't wage war as the world does. We wage war, the weapons we fight with are, are not weapons of this world, but on the contrary, they're what? They're the divine power to destroy and demolish strongholds. You see, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth that was a lot like our culture, very pagan, very pluralistic, many, many gods. There was what they call syncretism, the blending in of, of, of religion and faith and all these different things that kind of messed up everything. And the Corinthians were all messed up and Paul had to go in and straighten them all out. Why? Because God's a jealous God and he didn't want his children all jacked up. And so Paul wrote that. And then he says, he writes later to the church in Ephesus, he says this, he says, for our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Hey, the fight we're having right now is not against people. 
It's not against governors. It's not against politicians. It's not against medical directors. It's not against this or that person. It's against the spiritual forces that are behind them. And the spiritual forces of our culture want to do one thing. Draw you away from the love of Christ. Because if they draw you away from the love of Christ, you will feel like a hypocrite. You will feel like you don't live up to the standards God has. And people will look at you and say, see, you're no different than I am. How will they know we're Christians? They'll know we're Christians by our love. They will know we're Christians. That's why we want you to walk in the power of the Spirit. That's why we want to walk you in the fullness of the Spirit. That's why I'm doing a, a, a very intense devotional on the gifts of the Spirit. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You're not fulfilling the temptations of the flesh. You know what really concerns me? Is when I read things or hear things that Christians say that when I read them, it just grieves my spirit because they're saying the exact same thing the world is. We should be different than the world, folks. We should be separate from the world. This is not our home. This is not our kingdom. And you need to realize if they didn't love Jesus, they're certainly not going to love you if you're like Jesus. So just that is an occupational hazard of being a believer. Get used to it. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the sword of the spirit. Don't fight in the flesh. Fight in the spirit. When the person comes against you, you don't come back at them. You get on your knees and pray. You, this is your war- warfare. You put on your worship music. You know, sometimes the best thing you could do is just not say anything. Because when you say something, you're just falling into their strategy. But you just pray in the spirit. That's why I love praying in the spirit. Because, man, you can tear down strongholds. You don't even know you're tearing down. You don't even know what the stronghold is. And you're praying in the spirit. And you're tearing it down in the spirit realm. And you're releasing. You're changing the atmosphere around you. Why? Because you're so full of the spirit. You're like a sponge that has been dipped in the water and wrung out. And you're just being wrung out all over the place. And everyone's getting wet with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're just sitting there being love. Jesus lover. Worship team, come on up. Father, right now, we just ask that, Lord, any distortion in our understanding of who you are as God would be washed away. I pray, Father, that the truth of your word would transform your sons and daughters. God, I pray that we would understand that you as Elkanah, the jealous God, as you as Azil, the the God of, of zeal, God, that you would transform us, that we'd be like Jesus, and we would have a zeal for your house that would consume us. I pray that, Father, we would take up not physical weapons or physical battles or physical challenges, but we'd take up spiritual weapons, Lord, so we could demolish the spiritual strongholds that are around us. I pray that, God, we would stand against every power of darkness that stands in a spiritual force of evil and wickedness around us, and we would be men and women of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us to put on the full armor of God. I pray that, Father, as we look at your name as Elkanah, we would see that your jealousy is is not like the world's jealousy, but, God, it's because of the exclusivity of love that you want us to have. It's because of the intimacy of relationship you want us to have. It's because of your passion to protect your sons and daughters from harm. And, Father, I pray right now that there would be a release over your sons and daughters. Wherever we may be, in the South County, in California, across the United States, around the globe, God, may your spirit pour out on your sons and daughters in such a way 
that we would be lights in darkness, that we would be different than those around us, that God is people are speaking hatred, people are speaking jealousy in a, in a worldly sense. We would be men and women who speak love and jealousy from a divine sense. Lord, move by your spirit upon us. God, let us walk in the fullness of your spirit, Lord. Let us walk in the fullness of your word, Lord. Let us be men and women who transform the culture around us. Let us be men and women who change the spiritual atmosphere around us, God. Let us walk in the power of your Holy Spirit like we've never been before. God, let us see you through new eyes, eyes of passion, eyes of of zeal, eyes of commitment to you and your word. And Lord, we will glorify you because your word says, if you be lifted up, you will draw all mankind unto unto you. And now, right now, God, we just ask your blessing upon this word. We pray that you'd seal it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Pastor David, that was a powerful message. And the Lord wants to say that today, some of you need to return to your first love. You've lost your first love. And this charge I have against you, the Lord says, because he's jealous for you. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm on your list. I'm just not the first one on your list. And the Lord says, I have this charge against you that you have left your first love. Well, how do I know, Pastor Lynn, if I left my first love? Well, according to this, it says... And do the works you did at first. Remember that passion that you used to have? Remember that you couldn't wait to be with Jesus? You couldn't wait to be in his word? How everything you talked about had Jesus a part of it? You remember that? He says, you forgot your first love. Come on, return to me. Return to me. And the Lord is sending his word. I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you. You've put some other things before me. You've put material things before me. You've put yourself. You put yourself before me. You put your own comfort before me. You lost your passion for me. And the Lord is calling you out and saying, return to me. I want to be your first love. Not just a love, but your first love. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for you. Some of you say, yeah, I remember when I had such a passion to minister to people, to pray for them, to prophesy to them, to share my testimony. And you know what? I haven't been doing that. Well, go back to it. The Lord is saying, I want you back. I want to be first. You say, well, isn't this just part? You know how new believers, they're always like zealous. And then they, you know what? I've been a believer for 50 years. You can have him as your first love. 50 years later, I promise you, I promise you, and it's better than ever. It's more powerful than ever. He says, to you today I want to be first I want to be first you know what I ask you ask the Lord this right now 
wherever you're at, in your living room, if you're on a walk, in your dining room, in your study, if you're just listening by podcast right now, ask, Lord, are you first? Are you first in my life? Return to me my first love. Return to me my first love. Return to me my first love. Lord, we recommit to you. We have a ceremony of recommitment to you. That you are our first love, Lord. Bring us back. This charge you have against us that... You're not our first love. And Lord, we want you to be today, July 12th, 2020. We recommit that you are our first love. We will not have an adulterous affair with the world. You are our first love. We will not have selfishness ahead of you. You are our first love. We will not have worldliness. We will not have materialism ahead of you. We will not have a spirit of fear ahead of you. You are our first love. We return to you, Lord. We return to you. You are our first love. Lord, we commit to that. Fan into flame the love, the passion for you. Fan into flame the power of walking in your spirit, being a witness to this world, being an instrument of your power and love and authority to this world. Lord, baptize us again in our love, first for you and then for others. We thank you, Lord. We receive this word. We don't allow it just to be a hearer only, but we will be a doer of your word. And we thank you for this word, Lord. How you love us. How you're zealous for us. How you're passionate for us. And Lord, we respond and say, we love you back. We love you back. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.